This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right. Hello and welcome back to a Tuesday afternoon edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas. And with it being Tuesday, you know what that means. That means Major League Baseball talk on this very podcast with my good friend, Fangraph's John Taylor, the clear sounding John Taylor. John, good afternoon, sir. How are you? See, I thought when you said it's Tuesday, you know what that means? You were going to say tacos. No. No. Are you a Taco Tuesday person? No, I just like the alliteration. Yeah. It's Taco Tuesday. What is your What is your favorite alliteration? That's a That's a tough one. I I, don't, I really have to think about that one because there are a lot of alliterative possibilities. There you are. can't really beat Taco Tuesday though. That That's just a great one. Taco Tuesday uh, is a very good one. Um, uh, there is a SB Nation Florida Gators blog called Alligator Army that I like. I like um. That's a good one. I like that one. I, I like the the idea of an alligator army. Um, John, can I can I fill you in on what I've seen in nature in the last twenty four hours? Uh, yes. Although this makes me sound like you're about to tell me that you got mauled by a bear or something. No, no, no. I don't think I would be doing this very podcast if I was mauled by a bear. In the I, last I, I figured that the grind was real enough that you'd be doing it from your hospital bed. I'm sorry, I don't believe in the hustle. I, you know, I respect that. I like that you th- you believe that if I was mauled by a bear, that I'd still be in the ward asking the nurse, uh, not for more more penicillin, which I'm allergic to, so I probably couldn't have that. Um, no, no, no. Give me my podcast equipment. Give me some. I was going to say there. asking asking that nurse if she if she can do a quick fifteen minutes on the hawk. <laughs> uh, I would not rule it out. Um. No, so my run yesterday, I I don't know if you've ever seen this. Um, how long have you been in New York? Because I feel like there's animals for Ooh, you now, geez. like just pigeons uh, and birds. It'll be it'll be 16 years in September. Oh man, yeah, okay. I've been here since college. So man, for all oh. intents and purposes. Well, there you go. So your your animal habits, like it's got to just be dogs and pigeons. It's just all I'm imagining you're interacting with. Every day. That's all and you're rats, really seeing. Yeah. And some cats. A lot, of, a lot of rats, really. Oh, rats, too. They get, they're big. You're, they're big and they're feisty. So that's not a not a uh, um, not an outlandish thing to say. Not a not an untrue thing that people say about New York rats. That they actually are bigger than... They're huge. They're enormous creatures. Interesting. Um, no. So I guess this animal is kind of in the rat family. Kind of. On my run yesterday, John came across a skunk in the wild okay i saw you know i saw a skunk a few months ago last Did year you? i think okay never i didn't, I didn't get close to it wild. because 
you know, skunk, but... Well, apparently, 10 to 15 feet they can spray. Hmm. It's a lot of spray. That's a lot of spray, and it was within 10 to 15 feet when I first encountered it on the road. As uh, I was saying, is, this a, is this just a slow roll to you saying that you got sprayed by a skunk? <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't even know what you do. What do you do if you get sprayed? Do you immediately uh, well, with go to dogs, the... you're, With dogs, you're supposed to bathe them in tomato juice, I think, mm. is, uh, is the old wives' trick. That, that helps get the smell out. Well, as a non-dog, what does a human do? I think also bathe in tomato juice. That's, I think, my living hell as a non-tomato fan. Like, tomato is my least favorite food. Oh, okay. Yeah, then that, then I think you're just stuck with the smell of skunk forever. Sorry, man. Yikes. Yikes. Um, Win some, then, lose some. But then, John, 2.30 a.m. last night, going to step out for a second to grab something out of my car, burning the midnight oil, writing, doing some stuff, step out, no, like, maybe five feet away from me in my yard i'm in the driveway five feet away from me gigantic gigantic bobcat slash mountain lion not sure which one it was wow okay well if it was if it had a very short or stubby tail it was a bobcat and if it had a regular tail i'm pretty sure it's probably a bobcat because it's probably on the smaller size right it was at least 50 pounds okay well bob bobcats i think could be that big but, I mean, that's the thing. Did it have a short, stubby tail, or did it have an actual tail? It had an, I think it had a little bit of a long tail. Okay. Well, bobcats are normally about 20 pounds, whereas mountain lions are pretty damn big. I froze, John. It, it freaked me out. I don't, it, I don't blame you. I, I, too, would not be thrilled at seeing a wild predator just hanging out in my front lawn. I was both frozen, but also just enamored by this like this this is the just like oh don't bother me but this is very cool that you're in my yard like i i'm i'd never see these things and you're just in my yard i saw a skunk and then this so I now think. i'm just i'm just wondering now what did what did you do to make nature come at you so hard that the animal clearly there's something is like going turning on. on me yeah I, I think so i think it's happening well at least they're not attacking they're just it's almost like they're watching me they they've heard some rumors about the animals they heard you life. talking shit. Yeah, that's what it is. That's what it is. Um, they're not endangered, though, the skunks I found in Tennessee. So you're actually allowed to kill them, unfortunately. They are not which endangered. Probably, which, which is great if you want to combine the smell of skunk with the smell of dead skunk. <laughs> never it's a bad idea. Never a bad idea. Never a bad idea. Which, John Taylor, naturally leads us to the Mets firing their hitting coach staff, multiple coaches, um, what do you make of the Mets uh, cleaning house after just an unreally bad start to the season if your name is not J.D. Davis? Uh, or Pete Alonzo. I was going to say, Alonso, speaking, yeah. of, speaking of bad smells, um, I'm not... Outfits. I mean, like, this, this, this is usually what happens, right, when a team gets off to... Especially when a, when a team that's supposed to be good gets off to a bad offensive start is that invariably the pitching... Co- or the... Sorry, the hitting coach. Well, either. Either hitting or pitching, the coach is the, is the first one kind of sacrificed on the altar. And given that this, with Chili Davis, this is now team number three that's fired him in the last, I want to say, 10 or so years. He, he was with the he was with the Red Sox for a bit. That seemed to be going well and then crashed. He was with the Cubs, and that seemed to have crashed. I remember there being a lot of talk that he didn't know how to talk to the young players on the Cubs, which I found kind of surprising because at the time the Cubs were nothing but young players, so I, I didn't really understand that. And now it didn't work with the Mets. And I know that Davis... He, 
you know, I, 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 know, I don't think anyone except for beat writers and those kind of close to the team can really say exactly how much impact coach has, especially in terms of their individual philosophies on guys who, by and large, may already have their own. Like, I don't necessarily think Chili Davis is coming into Mets camp and telling Francisco Lindor, you got to start all over again. Mm -hmm. But he definitely did seem to have a propensity for pushing a ground ball centric philosophy, which just does not work nowadays, especially given the sheer number of shifts that hitters face. So I'm not necessarily surprised at this. I guess I'm kind of surprised as to what exactly it is keeps Chili Davis employed as a hitting coach when this is now a third uh, large franchise that has decided they are better off without him. But again, hitting coaches are just kind of the the initial like uh, scapegoats of any kind of offensive slump. The more the, the more interesting thing to me is the appointment of uh, what the Mets are doing by taking a guy in Hugh Quattlebaum, who was their I believe they're basically their director of hitting across the minor leagues, kind of their hitting coordinator, and now making him do major league stuff, which feels like not the best use of resources. You know, you kind of want that guy focusing on the job he had as opposed to trying to help Francisco Lindor get out of a slump. I mean, I, I guess you could question is how much are the Mets' struggles really based on one hitting coach when they do have stuff like Lindor hitting so poorly, when Dom Smith is hitting poorly, when... Uh, when they've had a lot of injuries, too, that have forced them to shuffle the lineup a fair amount. Um, but at the same time, like again, I, I'm not surprised. I don't really think any new hitting coach is going to make a difference unless that new hitting coach, again, has a way to pull Francisco Lindor immediately out of his slump. But, yeah, I, I, I guess, like I said, I, I'm not surprised these things tend to happen. Uh, I'm What I'm curious about is just how the Mets are going to work it going forward if they're going to have to divide between that major league hitting coach, minor league hitting coordinator thing. Because I, I, just like I said, that doesn't really seem like the best path to success. But either way, the Mets offensive success is not going to depend on whoever is, you know, the hitting coach is going to depend on Lindor coming out of his slump and Conforto hitting better and Jeff McNeil coming out of his slump and Dom Smith coming out of his slump and James McCann coming out. Like there's so many guys slumping right now that you know, that that is going to be the bigger thing. And maybe maybe a hitting maybe a new hitting coach can tell them something a little different that might, you know, get them back on track. But this isn't just a, I don't think this is even necessarily a, a, a team wide thing. It just there are a few very specific guys who are just really struggling. And that, I think, just drags everything down with it. Expectations are high in New York. And I think and, and yeah, that's the other thing. Like when expectations are high, this kind of stuff happens. It just it does feel a bit a, a little bit like a combination, like a an old school Wilpon era rage slash panic move. But at the same time, it, it, it like you said, this is, or like, I guess, as you were about to say, and I, I guess I kind of cut you off there. Uh, when expectations are high, this kind of stuff happens more often. I feel like Terry Pendleton was on the chopping block in Atlanta for the majority of my childhood as a hitting coach. It's one of those things where I'm not certain. And this is something you pointed out. It's just that like, <laughs> how much is it really on the hitting coach for these guys to be in slumps or these guys babips to be unlucky at this time or the offense not clicking or they're just in the wrong spot in the order like how much of this really falls on the hitting coach but ultimately when your expectations are high um heads tend to tend to roll whether it's fair or not um it's also just like one of those things where i think it's easy it's an easy pr win right like this is one of those things where this is a hey let's show our fans that this is not acceptable that scoring like 53 runs <laughs> through uh 30 games is uh not acceptable for for our franchise and you know like our pitching is still uh top notch right now we're not giving up any runs like our differentials fine 
um, if our offense was even just league average at this point, we're probably running away with the NL East. Um, I understand all of this, but I don't think whoever's the hitting coach is going to be responsible for this turnaround. I just think, like you said, Lindor just got back on track. I think they need to find out what it was that woke Jose Ramirez out of his slumber in Cleveland. Uh, was that last year now? Was that pandemic last year? Was that pandemic or pre-pandemic? I think it was pre-pandemic. Ago? Yeah, okay. That was two years ago where he had that just unreal um, start to the season where we were like, I think you and I talked about it. It's just like, maybe he's just done. And uh, then obviously he turned it around at the end of the season. But we shall see what happens well, in Metsland. It's funny too because you look at, I mean, like you like you said, this is this is a team is basically the thing is they basically are hitting league average right now. Their way to run creator plus as a team is ninety six. And granted, like they're pretty far from good here. I mean, the the leader in the maybe I should say scoring top, runs at a league average rate. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's the thing. Like, but it's funny you look at their back like their kind of back end metrics, and at least like they have a, a high BABIP. There's you know walk and strikeout rates aren't crazy. Uh, like I said, they're basically a league average offense right now, and they should be better than that. And there's probably some more going on in there that it's not immediately visible. I mean, they have a very low, um, not very low, but they have a kind of mediocre hard hit rate. They're kind of, I guess, a, a you know, and a 302 BABIP, especially in a day and age when there is just no batting average to be found, is not bad. But, yeah, but, I mean, and also maybe there is that element of, like, you know, yeah, that's probably not going to make any difference. Maybe there's maybe there's one thing that, you know, Hugh Quattlebaum can say that, um that Chili Davis maybe couldn't have or didn't realize to like Lindor they'll get him. Really, I, I think right now it's all about like can you get Lindor going, and that's kind of the major pressure for the Mets. Is I do think that once you get Lindor going, everything kind of flows from there. Well, the one uh, thing to just... know about Lindor and getting him going is that they didn't commit years upon years upon years and all of the money to Francisco Lindor. So there's no pressure for him to. <laughs> to turn it around and to be an immediate star in New York. I think that's the good thing here if you're a Mets fan. Yeah, and I guess that's the worry for for the Mets and for Mets fans right now. It's like he is he is probably pressing very, very hard mm-hmm. right now. And well, he needs to, you know what it is? He's been nervous about those Steve Cohen dinners. He's been nervous <laughs> about meeting and grabbing dinner with the owner, the guy who signs his checks. He's been uh, He's been wondering whether or not this is going to continue because that is the weirdest thing. Um, among many yeah. weird things that this owner is is doing, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know about you, John, but I would decline. Does weird. Yeah, I, I I don't know that I'd be comfortable having dinner with extreme weirdo Steve Cohen, but I wouldn't be comfortable uh, having dinner with my boss, like the guy signing my checks. Like what? I, I don't understand. Like I understand the idea of, I understand the broad in a vacuum idea that like, hey, I want to humanize this. I want to make it less transactional. I really like to get to know my players, but at the same time you're never going to be able to really get to know them and be buddy-buddy. It's just the boss-employee uh, dynamic. It's never never going to work. It's never going to work like that. You're never going to be friendly. Like Ultimately, you're still signing his checks. It will never be what Cohen wants. I, I don't think he understands that for some reason. I think he kind of maybe fancies himself as a, as a uh, Mark Cuban type, but mm. I don't know. That's I do wonder if that's just kind of like the the mindset for every like billionaire owner all up. I mean, I don't know if Steve Ballmer is the same way, but Steve Ballmer definitely gives off those vibes of just like, I want to be the most engaged active owner, like humanly possible. Um, mostly because I think Steve Ballmer is kind of crazy, but that's its own thing. I, uh, I don't know what kind of owner I would be. What kind of owner would you be? Would you be an overly active 
Like, I'm going to be uh, acting owner slash GM, or would you be hands-off and just employ smart people? Like, would you just employ the Fangraph staff, or what would you do? I was going to say, like, I'd like to think I'd be the hands-off owner. The only thing I know I would not be hands-off about would be, like, criticizing, like, referees and shit. <laughs> like, I would just get – I would draw so many fines for, like, the stupid shit I would say. Mm. But when it came, when it comes to the actual team itself, I'm, I'm, I would like to think I would just keep my nose out and be like, you guys know what you're doing. I'm just going to be here, like, saying ridiculous things about referees, if nobody minds. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, Bill Schmidt has been named the interim general manager in Colorado. Uh, sure. John, the Rockies, they, they're safe. Like, everything's fine. Dick Monfort's turning the corner, an all-time great owner name. Like, I think the biggest thing for them was moving on from their GM and not their ownership group, which is totally fine. Nothing to see here. Everything is now great in rocky land correct yeah everything is perfect uh like you said definitely the best ownership uh group to work for in baseball you definitely want the meddling weirdos <laughs> like this is a perfect a perfect transition like that is the kind of owner you just never want is a kind mm-hmm. like dick monford who just thinks he knows more than everyone else because he just happens to have money and that is a large part of the problem in colorado i mean it's something i was thinking about when uh, when Jeff British got let go, is he came really close to effectively ruining that franchise. Because you look at where the Rockies are now, and it's really, really hard to see how the hell they turn this thing around in, like, less than five years. They they have a bad farm system. All of the moves British made more or less made the team worse, including the Nolan Arenado trade that, as we've been over many times, is just an abject disaster. Trevor's story is almost certainly not sticking around, which means you either have to deal him midseason with a uh, with a interim front office that you know isn't going to be held accountable for whatever comes next, or with Monfort running the show, and I don't know which is worse, or you let him walk for a draft pick. You still don't know how to develop pitchers. You don't know how to invest in hitters. The team seems to be woefully behind the times on pretty much every like advanced anything when it comes to baseball their r&d department i think is all like two or three people and they've had a brain drain in recent years because well who would want to work for the colorado rockies i I know people have said like this is a this is a gm job with a lot of opportunity i certainly don't think it's going to be uh schmidt long term i think that there probably is going to be a push for a total house cleaning and a complete read and a complete starting over because that's really the only thing that makes sense for colorado Mm -hmm. but I, I just fail to see or I struggle to see what the incentive is when you have to work with Dick Monfort and Coors Field. Those are two of the biggest obstacles I think any major league team faces in terms of getting it right is your owner is a meddling moron <laughs> and your ballpark is impossible to figure out. No, like It has been – we're now in year 28. We're almost at 30 years of Rockies – sorry, year 27 or 28. No, it's 28. Regardless, we're at almost 30 years of Rockies baseball, and Coors Field has won every single year, except for like once or twice. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, and you can't just rely on, oh, we're just going to develop all our pitching. That's really hard. That's super hard to do that right all the time. And no one seems to understand what kind of pitcher it is even succeeds in Coors Field, aside from, you know, may, maybe there's a strategy there of screw it, let's just sign Garrett Cole or the equivalent of Garrett Cole. And just see if, if just see if putting the best pitchers in Coors Field makes a difference. Ultimately, I don't know, and I don't necessarily know if the Rockies want to make that kind of like three hundred million dollar gamble. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns—legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. 
relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone's experienced the pain of dropped calls and internet outages, especially working remotely this last year. So here's the question. If you're the telco company, how do you help create better experiences for customers? Simple. ServiceNow Digital Workflows can help solve network problems faster and provide real-time status updates so customers aren't left in the dark. That's probably why ServiceNow Workflows have helped telco companies see an increase in customer satisfaction. But proactive customer communications only have to battle. With a single view of your back, middle, and front office operations, ServiceNow Workflows also eliminate silos, keeping teams more in sync and more productive. With our scalable services, companies assure a better experience for both customers and employees on a single platform, the Now platform. So how do you help provide a better network experience for customers? With ServiceNow for telecommunications to help streamline network operations. Whatever your business is facing, let's workflow it. ServiceNow. So I, I don't know. It, it's just hard to see kind of what the path forward is in Colorado that isn't just, I would say, a full teardown, but there's nothing to tear down. There's just story and a handful of other guys. So you can, I be Herman Marquez, I feel like, is a very strong, likely candidate to be moved. I think John Gray, too. But that's kind of all that's left at this point in Colorado. And what's frustrating, I think, especially for anyone who takes over, is assuming that story and maybe Marquez and Gray get moved during the season – you're inheriting a team with actually nothing to start with because it's going to depend fully on what prospects come back in those deals. And if those prospects aren't good, well, you've just added more years to that particular timeline. So Colorado's in a really bad place overall, I think. Um, weirdly enough, they're not the worst team in baseball, but they are... I, th- I think they might have close to the most hopeless situation in baseball when you add it all up. Yeah, it's it's a very disappointing difficult situation and it it's a race for most depressing with i think the rangers detroit's up there too detroit that, that too, yeah not. i mean i guess i i maybe it's just because i like some young pieces in detroit like there is some I, I do too, but, and, and i know we're not really talking about this but I, I think the thing with detroit is and obviously we'll see how the season goes and how guys adjust but none of their young guys are really working out <laughs> they had a like sign. a week and a half where akil badu was the new hotness mm-hmm and they've had a few starts apiece over the last year plus now from Casey Mize and Tariq Skubal that suggests that there's something there. And I'm not ready to give up on those guys already. You know, it's it's hard to be a major league pitcher. But I do think that we're already kind of seeing the limits to what a pitcher-heavy rebuild does for you because it is so hard to get those guys going. And we're also That's seeing great. the Tigers just don't seem to be very good at player development in terms of turning the guys they have into productive major leaguers quickly. And we'll see also what that what that amounts to with Torkelson, and they're going to get another, um, they're going to get the I believe the number three pick in this year's draft. So they they unfortunately they're going to I guess unfortunately for them, but maybe fortunately for their for their developmental path, they're going to miss out on Rocker and Lighter. But they should be able to get one of the two. I think they're two nice high school shortstops who are right there, who can maybe kind of be their Bobby Witt types. But yeah, I, I mean Colorado's in a really dismal place. It's just there's so little to work with there right now that pretty much the appeal of that job is the theory at least that you would have a free hand to remake the club entirely because there's nothing there you really have to worry about in terms of continuity or holding over in reality the last bit of it was was arenado and now that he's gone you pretty much have a a rocky team you can make over entirely in your own image i just wonder if that leads to an orioles type situation where you're just telling your fans hey for the next three to five years 
we're going to be even worse than you thought. <laughs> Which um, is really, and the, the thing, it's really just a shame for 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 Rockies fans because they're they're a good, they're, a good, they're a good fan base that I like, and they they deserve way better than that. Yeah, I I just think <laughs> we we get to this point now. We know we have enough data. We have enough information on Monfort with these owners and specifically him. If you're a rising GM, you're an assistant GM in San Diego, wherever, what is the appeal? You laid out how just barren that cupboard is. But also, why would you want to work for this meddling bad owner? There's no and I think reason that's... for you to want to work in Colorado. Like there's I don't care how much money it is. Like it's a unwinnable situation and these guys are all so hyper competitive looking for ways to outmaneuver and outsmart their competition that like i just don't know how if you're a rising star you see yourself as a long-term gm in this league that you want this job because it is i think about as unwinnable as any job in baseball right now maybe any job in sports so it's like why what is the what is the idea like the only guy who should ever want this job is like a dombrowski type where it's like i have nothing to lose. i'm just bored i was yeah, trying and- to start uh, the nashville sounds 2.0 like i'm not uh I'll, I'll come back and do some stuff and see what happens there's some there's some shit at the wall and we'll see what well, happens but if you're a smart front office guy there's no reason for you to want to work for this ownership group yeah, and I would agree, and it's funny you mentioned Dombrowski because he's now throwing shit at the wall with the Phillies. I, mm-hmm. I do wonder if this ends up being something where the Rockies kind of have to take on a kind of retread general manager just at yeah. least for like a couple seasons to kind of build everything back up, and that maybe a young guy does, like you said, doesn't necessarily want to start with, unless it's a young guy who feels like, hey, this might be my only shot, what the hell, let me give it a try. Yeah. I'm curious. I, I do think it's going to be hard for them at least to pluck names out of bigger and better front offices because I think you're right. I think a lot of young guys are going to be like, why would I take what might be my only opportunity with this team that is where I'm pretty much guaranteed to fail instead of just waiting for maybe something else to open up somewhere else that might be better? You know, like you maybe you're thinking, so how much longer, how much how long is Dombrowski going to be? Well, I guess. It's less about how long Dombrowski's going to be in Philly as, you know, is Sam Fold the heir apparent there. But regardless, like, there there should be options. There should be better options maybe at some point. Or at least you can kind of tell yourself Colorado might be the best option right now, but that doesn't mean that they're the best option. Dan Duquette, next Colorado Rockies general manager. Be sad if he just spent the, the rest of his, like, time on earth just, like, doing two or three year stints in charge of bad teams. <laughs> Um, on a happier note, no, I'm just kidding. This is not a happier note. There's no happy notes at the beginning of this podcast, John. Unfortunately, Never. your preseason superstars, your preseason love affair with the Chicago White Sox, it's not going well, John. No, it's not. Yeah, we're, we're really there. hitting all the sad notes. We're we're just banging through all the depressing stuff right now. I mean, do you just want to throw out Dustin May too? Like Dustin May gone for the year. We See, it's you. funny because. I mean, yes, that one is also a bummer, but it's definitely one of those like when you hear about the Dodgers losing Dustin May, you go, "Oh, that's a bummer," but they'll be okay. Like that's a that's that that's hard to lose. Yeah. But when your rotation afterward is still Kershaw, Bauer, Bueller, Urias, mm-hmm. you're okay. You know, like you'll be fine. Like maybe maybe that like the Dodgers will, will put Tony Gonsolin in that spot eventually once he's built up. Maybe they'll try Josiah Gray if he looks good in Double A. Maybe they'll trade for a guy, but they got options. 
the White Sox, for at least the time being, are going to have to run an outfield with Adam Engel and Billy Hamilton in it. Or Lurie Garcia and Billy <laughs> Hamilton. There's no fixing that. Like, that's... Uh, we just ran something, or it will be running soon on Fangraphs. Dan Samborski just took a quick look at the Robert thing. And as he noted from a piece he did last month, Robert was pretty much like one of the top ten like guys you basically can't lose. If you're if you're a team that has playoff aspirations, like he was really high on that list of like most irreplaceable, important dudes going forward. And, you know, not just because of what he does offensively, but also because he's a great defensive center fielder and a great base runner. He's really a, a fantastic all around player. And if you're the White Sox, as I just noted, like now you're down to Lurie Garcia and Billy Hamilton. That's not playable. That's not tenable. That's to the point where you need to where where Rick Hahn, I imagine that's already been the case, but needs to be on the phone. With every potential team that's thinking about moving an outfielder and going, what do you want? Back you need to put Ender Inciarte. Let's go. Ugh. But it, it, it can't. But it's like that's the thing. Like it, it, it. Honestly, I don't know if they can afford to just do something like get a fourth outfielder type, like Ender Inciarte, or like a, a Robbie Grossman type, or, or something like that. They need not just a bona fide center fielder, and that's already hard enough on its own to find. But they need someone who can at least hold their own offensively too. And. That well, I think gonna is going to be. Tiarte, then. <laughs> I said hold their own, not just kind of <laughs> meekly swat about. And that and that's kind of the thing. It's like how many of those guys even exist in Major League Baseball right now, where they're available. Like you look at the list of of center fielders just right now. Like just looking at guys who are, who are performing well. Maybe, maybe if George Springer is fully healthy at some point, maybe you start engaging the Blue Jays about Randall Grichuk. I, I have like I gen- I don't think that's a solution though I don't think it's a realistic solution and then after that you're you're running up you're pretty short on options like are you are you hoping that are you gonna try to take a ride on the on seeing if the the Rockies will unload Charlie Blackman and hope to God you can somehow slow that slide down while putting him in an outfield corner and having to play who exactly in center field like it, it just doesn't really there are not easy, viable solutions out there for the White Sox right now. This is as close to an unmanageable loss as you can get. And it's one that's going to take it, it. I'd say at this point, like I know the twins have been terrible, but at this point, like you lose Robert on top of losing Aloy Jimenez. Boy, I really think the AL Central's dead even at this point. And boy, does this really help the Royals too. They, they are. I know there's been a lot of like, oh, are the Royals legit or the Royals legit? It doesn't necessarily matter how legit they are if the path to the playoffs gets this much easier. You know, I, I think the, the AL Central was a two-team race, I think, from the start. I think it is still a two-team race, just a much closer two-team race. And if the Royals keep this up, it's a legitimate three-team race. So Robert is – I don't know if that's the biggest injury any team has suffered this year. Um, but it's way up there. It's a really, really bad one for Chicago. It's bad, but the good thing for them is that the AL Central is just an it absolute sucks. dumpster fire. Unless you're just like the all-time, the well, all-time say, Kansas City Royals truther. Like I, I, say, I shouldn't say it sucks. It's just the the Twins have been unexpectedly bad. Cleveland has, but the Cleveland has been. It's I think Cleveland is ultimately a 500 team, and I don't think anyone really expected anything better. And the Tigers have been abysmal. It really is just the Royals kind of propping it up right now. But otherwise, yeah, it's been a pretty mediocre division all the way through. Jesus Lozardo is one of us, John. He's a gamer. He is a gamer. He broke... What was it? His pinky or hand? Uh, he broke a finger, okay. I think. Or no, he had a... Maybe... 
He's, I think what it was is he said he broke something like hitting a table, which would suggest that it was kind of that somewhere in that fleshy part of the bottom of your hand, you know, mm-hmm. near the pinky would, would suggest that he broke something in there. But uh, yes, extremely gamer hours. Thankfully, it didn't include a heating game and gaming moment. But yeah, Lizardo, uh, Lizardo lost his temper a little bit, I guess. What uh, What is your most embarrassing? Do you have a most embarrassing way you've injured yourself? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I mean, there have been plenty of times where I've hurt myself. Just like I've run into a, I've run into doors. Just like not like like walking into them straight on when they're closed, but just like you don't judge the space amount. And you just bang your shoulder into the door. That mm. one always gets me. Um, trying to think, most embarrassing injury though. That's that's a tough one. I really I ripped my knee up once when I was a kid playing tag on on wet asphalt. Mm. That wasn't the smartest. No. Um. I fell down a flight of stairs backwards in college. That oh, wasn't great. fuck. Uh. But nothing really like nothing like cut. How did like, you land? I don't know. I was pretty drunk at the time, so I don't remember. Okay. <laughs> um. But the thing is, I don't have any, like, baseball-type injury where it's, like, like Luzardo hurting himself gaming or, or the ones where it's always, like, Sammy Sosa throughout his back sneezing or uh, Clint Barnes hurting himself carrying a lot of deer meat or whatever exactly it was or, or even something as stupid as Jeff Kent breaking his wrist doing, like, popping wheelies on his motorcycle or whatever it was. And I, I don't really everything Madison Bumgarner ever did. Yeah, no, there's never been, yeah, I've never hurt myself, like, mountain biking. Mm-hmm. I, uh... I got in the news when I was in first grade for riding my bike through my neighbor's garage door. That's a pretty stupid one. I was racing. My best friend in the neighborhood did not remember to brake. John, I mm. literally went head first through the glass and I tore the whole garage door down. Like I, I it all I feel, came down. I feel like I feel like you've told this story before because mm. it sounds vaguely familiar. Unless I somehow know another friend who has also ridden a bike through a garage door. <laughs> There's, there's dozens of us in my most Tobias Fiencave. There are there are dozens of us. Um, yeah, no, it, that that that's gonna be hard to top. I mean, I also uh, fell uh, into a table and bit through my lip, like the whole thing. Hold uh, diving for a football during a mm. North Carolina Auburn Chick Fil A Peach Bowl late night New Year's Eve. Uh, watch party in the that's early impressive. 2000s that's, in that's a lot Florida. of combinations of weird words but i i understand it see like that's how i relate to things i don't know if you're like this but like i remember time periods based on sporting events and what i was watching and what sport was on or what i was reading like that's how i associate time for me no that that makes sense yeah my grandmother's like uh clothes or she could tell you what she wore like 45 years ago on like march 17th it's pretty wild. That, that is kind of that is kind of crazy. Um, naturally, bringing us to John, I want to get your thirty game mark, winners and losers. Give me a couple of each. Who do you got? Winners and losers. That's a good one. Uh, definitely, like I said, like we've talked about the Royals, big winners so far. Um, I really can't imagine anyone expected this. And for as much as I don't necessarily know that it's going to hold up, because I don't know that Danny Duffy is going to maintain an ERA under one, mm. if not under .5 for the rest of the season, um, they've already banked the wins. You know, they're they're outperforming their Pythagorean, but definitely like they've looked good so far. And I think if nothing else, it has shown that there is a possible, there is a way to build that isn't just ripping it all down. And I think it's yeah. it's nice, it's kind of nice to see a, a Royals team that tried 
actually uh, actually succeeding. Other winners, um, another I mean another team kind of overperforming a bit with the Red Sox. I I think what we've seen from them since that ten and three start is a little more. They're seven and nine since that point. I think that's a little closer to what we're gonna we should see probably the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. I think ultimately this ends up being like an eighty five win team. Which certainly isn't a bad thing. Uh, it's just I think they're a little worse than than what they showed. Is that enough for a probably... wild card spot? That's a good question. Um, I mean, their current their current winning percentage they're on pace for ninety four wins. I don't think that's mm-hmm. going to hold. I think the problem they run into is the Blue Jays and Yankees are going to be better. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure about the Rays, but I think the Rays will be better. If nothing else, the White Sox should be in that hunt, and I think the Whites or even without Robert, and I think the Royals should be around there too. The A's and Astros and Marlins, or Marlins, Mariners are all relative content. Really, the only teams you can say are fully out of it right now are Detroit and Texas. Those, I think, are the only two teams you look at and go, not a chance in the world. I think Baltimore's probably there as well because uh, Baltimore's a team that's not going to make any upgrades. They're, you know, If they happen to be good, that's that's a fluke and it's not going to continue because they're not going to invest in it. So... It could be, but the AL wildcard race does look pretty tight because a lot of these teams have kind of gotten off to similar starts. So we'll see. Otherwise, winners, the Giants have looked really good. Uh, that's another team that looks relatively legit. They've had a great, they have a great pitching staff and a solid enough bullpen and a decent enough lineup that I think that's a team where conceivably, if they make the right additions at the deadline, they could be definitely part of the wildcard hunt in in the National League. Losers. Uh, Jeez, like I said, the the Tigers' rebuild looks like a mess. Mm-hmm. The Rangers really do look like they're going absolutely nowhere. The White Sox have just been a real disappointment. I don't know if I want to call the Yankees losers so much as I kind of want they're just frustrating for the time being. Same with the Mets, I think, where it's just they should be better than this. Uh, that they're not is not a sign that they aren't better than this. Just that they are not playing better than this. Although I think if you want to, you know, rank the which of the two New York teams is in a better spot, I still think it's New York because they're the, or the sorry. <laughs> It's New York that I, I can't lose. <laughs> it's definitely the Yankees who I think are in the better spot overall. Yeah, I would agree. Really, the entire NL East is just one giant loser. None Ooh. of those teams are actually good. Like, <laughs> that's just the. What I've come to is that no one in the NL East is allowed to be good. They're all just mm. bad and different. Like, the only team with a positive run differential is the Marlins, and they're five games under 500. Yeah. None of these teams are actually good. It's, it's, why do we always talk ourselves into this with the NL East every single year? Every year we're like, this division is going to be so hard. There are four playoff teams in here, maybe five. It's going to be – no, they're all bad. Not just bad, but they're all like cursed. Every one of these teams, every time you watch them, you're like, what is wrong with this franchise? <laughs> what like ancient, unspeakable evil has cursed this mm. team? Because it's all – like every Phillies-Mets game, for example, is just the stupidest bit of just nonsense that's ever existed – and it always turns on either some ridiculous play that no one expected, a terrible umpiring call, or some weird rule no one's ever heard of. Mm. And then, like, the Braves are their own bit of just Barb's accented weirdness. Well, we, don't have to the, go. we don't have to do that. We don't have to we, do that. We're not going to go. The, the Nationals are just not good. Like, they're simply not a good team. Like, the fact that they are where they are is, is, is more by virtue of the, the NL East just being a dog pile than anything mm. else. But, yeah, I... I think the NL East in general, and I just I am going to stop talking myself into the NL East ever being a thing again. It's it's mm. impossible and exhausting. Yeah, uh, Travis Arno not being around for several months. Yeah, th- be things are getting really bad in Atlanta, aren't they? But like you said, the NL East it's not like anyone's running away at the division and uh, they're in dire straits. But it's just uh, 
they're kind of having the year from hell and man they need Soroka they need Freed to get back on track because I think this offense is going to have limitations throughout this season and they're really just going to need the the starting pitching to really pan out and the Bryce Wilsons of the world are very concerning but um the the Drew Smiley experience I've not enjoyed John after what I, <laughs> I just I go into every Drew Smiley Drew Smiley experience just like eyes wide open i think it was friday night he last pitched and also watching these braves blue jays games and watching any blue jays game in home is very bizarre but home run after home run and it's just it's not gonna work like at some point we gotta pull the plug on this where it's like are we sure we shouldn't just put josh tomlin out there every two weeks (laughs) for five innings are we sure we shouldn't just do that like there's there's no reason for the drew smiley experience at this point like you didn't invest a lot of money it was a one-year deal whatever but um yeah you whiffed like this is the thing when you take flyers on guys who were bad before and then at an outlier season and you're just hoping that it was real and i guess with smiley it's starting to look at least with early returns that it wasn't real last year and it's not sustainable and you just might stink in 2021 and you have to you have to pivot a little bit but um we shall see what happens in atlanta um what what do you think jd martinez would fetch this summer if the red sox were to fall back towards that 85 win pace what would you what would you guess jd martinez would fetch and uh from another contender it's hard to say because we've already seen what J.D. Martinez is worth in a trade and it wasn't very much. And that was three years, three or four years ago when he was better. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not better, but younger at least. And all it was was kind of three bottom, like two bottom 100 prospects, if I recall correctly, and a, and a guy. Granted, that's from the Tigers and the Tigers are not to be trusted in any kind of evaluation they make. Yeah. And he was awesome for Arizona. But... More to the point, I think if there's one major issue here, it's that half the teams in baseball without the DH are going to look at J.D. Martinez and go, well, what are we supposed to do with him? Yeah, He can't play the outfield regularly. You you, you do not want to sign yourself up for two months of J.D. Martinez in the outfield. He's not good enough to play that regularly, and there's a pretty decent chance he's going to get himself hurt or hurt someone else in the process. So if you eliminate the NL teams just right off the bat, and I don't think you necessarily have to eliminate them, but I don't think you should be counting on any of them to make you an offer – then what you're looking at is, okay, what contenders have holes at the DH spot and would be willing to afford uh, the money that's still owed J.D. Martinez going forward, which even, I mean, this is the thing, like even just the salary for this season, you're already going to have teams, I believe it's 20-some million, so even pro-rated, you're still going to have teams going, I don't know about that. Let's see, J.D. Martinez is owed $19 million this year in total, so pro-rated after July 31st, you're talking some... I don't know, uh, two, like four or so million dollars, and then another $19 million next year, which is hard guarantee, not an opt-in, no way around it. So you're you're basically on the hook for about $25 million for him for a season and change. Of the teams that have bad DH production right now, it's the Royals, the AL teams, the Royals, the Rays, the Jays, the A's, a lot of rhyming, the Rangers, the Tigers, and the Orioles. Half those teams aren't going to trade for J.D. Martinez because there's no point. The other half can't afford him or won't afford him. And I think Toronto's the only team in there where you could make the argument that they could afford him. But I think they're probably going to try to see what they can get out of Rowdy Telez. And I don't know, maybe maybe once Springer is regu- is playing regularly, maybe you plug, um, maybe you rotate that DH spot between Lourdes Gurriel and Randall Grichuk and a bunch of other guys who are all... And that's the other thing. The, all the Blue Jays are really bad at defense already. The last thing they need is another guy who can't play good defense. 
So realistically, I don't know if there is a market that exists for J.D. Martinez right now. Maybe closer to the deadline, we'll have a team that would be more interested, say, if the Mariners are still in it. But that that just streamed. I, I just have a hard time seeing which team is going to put together the need and the money for J.D. Martinez. So I think regardless of what he does and how the Red Sox go, I, I think he stays in Boston for at least through the season. And maybe the offseason we're talking like a, a money swap of some kind if if Boston wants to move on from from his contract. Yeah. Well, you know, we'll we'll have to see what happens there. Uh Arroyo, just an MVP player. Like maybe that's that's the big cash cow in Boston. Um Chris Bryant playing like an MVP again for Chicago. There's a good piece in SI about this, but I wanted to ask you, John, um if you're a Cubs fan, what do you what do you do with this? Because I would feel so conflicted where you're like, wow, he's back. Chris Bryant figured some stuff out back to who he was years ago. Like, let's pay this guy. Let's just have him locked down. He's a good player. We're in a big market. Why would no, we just... That's not going to happen. No, that's it's not. Like... But you're like, okay, so this is awesome. We're going to trade him and we should get great value. And then you're like, wait. Are we sure about that? Because look at the haul we just got for you, Darvish. Um, I would be so conflicted about the MVP type year for Chris Bryant. And I am just kind of bummed that the Cubs punted on 2021 because, I mean, this is a great season for him and he's a young guy in his prime and Cubs fans should be able to enjoy this and like this big market situation. It's just, he's not, he's playing an MVP level for nobody. It's just, it's a, it just feels like a waste from an outsider's perspective. Um, what do you make of all of it? It's definitely sad. And I think if you're a Cubs fan, what you're rooting for is that Brian keeps performing at an MVP caliber level so that he can be dealt the deadline for a good, for a good package because he's not coming back. And I think I understand what you what you said about Darvish. It's like why should Cubs fans feel particularly optimistic when they you know dealt away a, a Cy Young contender for a bunch of teenagers? I think the difference is one, Darvish really was a lot about the money and about the long term deal he had coming with. And while on the one hand, Bryant's an upcoming free agent, so you're not going to get a big haul because teams are going to want to give up a lot of cost controlled players for you know two months of a guy. At the same time, you can sell any team on the idea that, hey, all you got to do is pay him for two months. You want to bring him back after that? That's your problem. But all we're asking for is enough prospects for you to feel comfortable two months of Chris Bryant. And I think the other thing is that there's always going to be a need for power hitting infielders. Bryant obviously plays a, a good, a decent third base. He's not a great outfielder, but at least he gives you that flexibility. And there are teams that really could use the help. I know the Phillies have Alec Bohm at third base, but you know they can make room for Chris Bryant. The Nationals obviously have a big hole at third base and can make room for Chris Bryant. If the Cubs want to deal within the division, the Reds and Brewers could definitely both use the help there. Um, you know there there are some there are some options in what you can do with Bryant, and I think there's a much bigger market for him. And I do think the other side of this is if you look at the teams that are kind of already out of it right now, maybe not already out of it, but teams you would expect to be, you know, sellers at the at the deadline, how many of them realistically have anything on the level of the of a Chris Bryant performing the way he is to, that would be available? Maybe if you're maybe if you're focusing on Texas and you want to take a gamble on Joey Gallo, or if the Mariners fall back and you're willing to take Kyle Seeger, who is essentially the poor man's Chris Bryant, or you know maybe. I guess Story is the only other kind of real, you know, big name that's definitely going to be available at the deadline. 
But I think that's kind of the the if the Cubs fans want to find a silver lining in this, knowing that Bryant is a goner. There's not a whole lot of competition in terms of good position players available at the deadline, other than him, or other than Story. And so I think they can make out well just just solely because of that. Yeah. Last thing, and we'll wrap up here, John. Um, Fangraphs. They had an are they real list? Roya making this list. Who that people can find out on Fangraphs.com. So go check that out if you have not already. Um, who on this list do you think are real? Who do you agree with? Um, well, for the for the most part, what Paul wrote, uh, Paul Spore is one of our uh, basically our head fantasy guy down there. I think I agree with all of all of what he wrote that none of these guys in particular feel like they're quote unquote real. I think I agree with him that I like of the two. Uh, I think I like Seth Brown the most on this list, if only because he's always shown power in AAA and the minors in general. And the A's are a team that always can kind of make this stuff work. And they, sorry, they have the space to fit him in, uh, assuming they you know kind of abandon Stephen Piscotty eventually. Um, I, I feel best about him. I think J.D. Davis is the other guy who I think the offense is definitely real. I think the problem is where do you play J.D. Davis because he's bad everywhere he goes. But I think Seth Brown is probably the one I, I would feel best about there because and that, that's just the most A's thing. It's just here's this random dude, Seth Brown. He's like a three-war player now. Um, but that, that I think is – I think I agree with Paul on the rest of them though that especially Arroyo does not feel real. Yadiel Hernandez feels like a hot streak. But we'll see. Uh, I, but I like Brown, I think, the most out of that list. Okay. John, that is all I've got on this dreary Tuesday afternoon. It's been storming hardcore here in Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, what, uh, what would you like to plug as we wrap up here? Just fangrass for usual. We actually have a piece by Ben Clemens coming out mm. shortly on Chris Bryant, talking about how he's become a much better highball hitter. Mm. Uh, we got that aforementioned Dan piece on Luis Robert, if you want to read more about how that screws the White Sox pretty hard. Mm. Uh, we've got some we've got some good stuff from new contributors. Actually, I really want to shout out uh, one of our new contributors, Justin Choi, who's doing some really, really great data work for us so far. Definitely check out his articles when you get a chance. And for those of you... We, for those of you... Uh, who are definitely into the uh, KBO, we now have updated and new KBO stats and data on our site. So if you want to look up your favorite KBO players and see how they're doing, come on over to Fangraphs.com. We have got you covered. And as always, we are happily accepting new memberships uh, to help keep us afloat. So go ahead and do that. If you're not a member, go ahead and sign up. You're doing us a favor. You're doing me a favor. You are making sure that I do not have to live on the street, and I appreciate that. Yeah. Go do that, because Fangraphs is also very good, and I don't want John living on the street. Have you Nobody heard about the size of those rats that he'd be They're enormous, with? and they're terrifying. Keep me away from them. Yeah, yeah. Well, for that guy up there in New York City, John Taylor, for myself down here in Knoxville, Tennessee, that is all I've got, my friend. <laughs> we'll be back, as we are every single Tuesday on this very podcast, so we will talk next week. Thank you, sir. All right. Later, man. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.